Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoop's Journey. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've checked in with you. Uh, Corbs and I trying to get our basketball seasons off the ground and juggle life and, and all the other things. So we're thrilled. We're looking at three straight nights of recording and excited to uh, sit down with the gentleman tonight who has a storied history in the game of basketball, not only in our province of British Columbia, but you know, across Canada is highly involved with the UBC Thunderbirds and just many different facets and, and things to the game. Looking over his profile, some cool things that I want to talk about. And we're excited. We know he's a fan of the podcast, but he's just a fan of basketball in general and uh, been around the game for a really long time. We won't age him too bad right off the start, but uh, we are thrilled to have Mr. John Mills with us this evening. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great, Aaron. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, our pleasure. And uh, just check in with you. How's life? Christmas holidays around the corner. Are you going to take any time off? What What are things, what are you doing these days to keep yourself busy and uh, and keep moving forward? Well, I, I, I finished up my career, my employed career, I guess you'd call it, um, running the Richmond Olympic Oval, you know, for the okay. 11 years. I retired from that yep. two years ago. Oh, okay, didn't realize that. Awesome. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. And I'm on some boards now. Like one, the most interesting one is Own the Podium, which allocates all the high performance money to all the national sport organizations. So, mm-hmm. so that's uh, that's fascinating. So, and and I'm working a little bit on my golf game and trying to maintain my my uh, loyalty to UBC and Vancouver College. You got it. And what is it about? You know, I mean, you're only two years officially retired of employment, but. Is it something that you just, other than being involved in something, is it the sense of kind of giving back or what is it about that wants, that makes you want to kind of continue along and how long do you see yourself doing this stuff? I mean, if you look at your resume, you don't look at the year, like the ages that, and the years that you're giving me here. So I'll tell you that off the bat, um, you look a lot, <laughs> uh, you look a lot younger than that, but what is it about you? Is it someone that's, is it your love for sport or just continuing to give back and, and keeping yourself busy or a combination of it all? Well, really, sport right from a very young age was was a hugely important part of my life. And mm-hmm. I felt very fortunate to be able to be employed. And I've had some of the most interesting jobs uh, in the country. And I, and I never really felt like I was working. Uh, I always looked forward to getting up in the morning and seeing what the new the new um, opportunities were. And you know we we might touch on this later on, but I always wanted, to take a big swing mm. you know, at, at whatever job I was, I was doing at the time and try to think, make things better. An old friend of mine used to describe the two ways that you measure sport in metals earned and calories burned. <laughs> and so I, I kept that as a little bit of a focus. I, I wanted to try to create more opportunities for people to play sport, enjoy sport, be healthy, and more opportunities for the best athletes to pursue their you know, their own personal podiums and, and and maybe a podium for Canada. And especially in Canada where, you know, we need as many resources and people and hands on deck as possible, right? Just because, you know, we're continuing to, and I, and I like where it's gone the last few Olympics and that I, there's more exposure. We see more athletes signing contracts and, and, and I know you probably feel like there's still more work to be done, be done, but like, that's a really cool side of, of sport that you get to be a part of. Hey, well, it, it is when you consider that, when Canada held its first Olympics in 1976 in Montreal and then the Winter Olympics in Calgary in 1988, in neither of those games did we win a gold medal. You know, we won some medals and famous Greg Joy's high jump medal in, in Montreal. And, but, um, you know, it was, it was, we were looking for more. Yeah. You know, we, and, and as Jack Donahue said, when he first came to Canada in 1972 to coach the national team, he said, in the, in the past, Canada has been preparing to play games. I want to prepare Canada to win games. Mm. So that, that uh, certainly was a change for basketball, but it, it took the rest of the country, you know, a little longer. In fact, probably the hosting of the, of the winter games in 2010 to start assembling the resources that actually had made a difference, both yeah. in summer and winter games. Well, you know the show, you know the deal. Let's get right into it. Take us back down memory lane a little bit, your life growing up and sort of where yeah. this huge passion of sport um, started to develop and grow for you. Our family has had three generations at Vancouver College. My father went to Vancouver College and I did, and my son, Trevor, who's a, an elementary school teacher in, in Vancouver. And I remember reading the old 
yearbooks from when my father was at school and there was a picture of him in a basketball uniform. And I kind of thought that was cool. And I was a, I was a 12 year man. I went from grade one to grade 12 and, and believe me, I'm not going to take you through every year in this kind of detail, but, but, but the middle of the week, the seniors, whether it was the football team or the basketball team, they would come by the grade one class and they would come in and talk to us about the game they had coming up on the weekend. And of course, I'd go home and I'd tell my father, you know, they, they said, and these were giants, of course, you know, we're these little five and six-year-olds and we have to go. The guys said that we, we've got to go and watch the football game on the weekend. Well, my father... He was he he loved sports as well, and and he couldn't have been happier to want to go out and watch the Fighting Irish play, whether it was football or basketball. And and so, middle of the year, the principal, Brother Bates, and his name may come up later on, came in and he had two small basketballs in his hand, and he said, "Whoever finishes their arithmetic homework or lesson early can take one of these balls and go over to the gym and get a head start on recess." And I, I was a good student even then, and and. Uh, I just couldn't wait. Couldn't wait to get my hands on the ball and get over there and be on that shiny alumni gymnasium floor, which was only about five years old, I think, at the time. And I just felt myself as a basketball player from that that point on. Put a hoop up at home. And uh, we finally, at Vancouver College, started playing in the fourth grade. I played all the other sports, but in my heart, I thought of myself as a basketball player at that uh, at that time. And of course, college in those days... Well, it's still strong, but uh, in those days was winning championships kind of routinely uh, in the late 50s and and, uh, and early 60s. Yeah, that And I helps. just imagined, you know, myself in that uniform one day, maybe playing out at War Memorial Gym, which is where the tournament was back then. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it got, got kicked off. And, and we had some very good teams. I played on the 67 championship team, which was one of those teams. I was in grade 11. It was... An absolute clear demarcation between the five starters and everybody else on the team. And I think I could have played in any other team in the city, but but I hardly got a sniff that year and because they were so strong, that, that uh, starting five. And then it, it kind of set um, you know, my friends and I, my, my teammates, kind of, we wanted to repeat in 68 and, mm-hmm. and we were we were upset in the second, uh, in the second round. And uh, one of these days I'll be over it. I was going to say your body language and voice just completely changed. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So that, so didn't know how long it was going to that dream was going to last. You know, mm-hmm. playing basketball and and uh, I was recruited. I was I was a I was a decent player. I don't think anyone thought I, I had that much potential. But mm-hmm. um, it was a very interesting time though because Simon Fraser had just started a few years earlier. Their first class was 1964, and so this is 1968. I'm graduating from high school, and and uh, Joe Davies was very interested in me going up there to play football and basketball. He offered me a scholarship. I, I turned it down because I just saw myself at UBC. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, and uh, I didn't even know whether I was going to be able to play. It was it was a very interesting time, and they really only had three teams then. You know, yeah, yeah. Three, there was Simon Fraser and at UBC and and uh, and UVic and UVic was not up yet to the standard that it would get to. You know, a few years later, right? And um, Simon Fraser, at the time, I I sort of disagreed with their uh, policy to go play um, NAIA as it was in those in those days. But looking back. I, probably with the wisdom of a, of, of a couple of decades looking back, it was a very smart move for them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they would have been a little brother to UBC for who knows how long. But the fact that they played an American schedule, recruited nationally, created just just a, an incredible tension, you know, between Burnaby Mountain and Point Grey. And I played in three of the Buchanan Cups, I think three, and. We were we had nine thousand people at, at uh, the Coliseum. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, yeah, there was huge, huge crowds, and and a little bit like when the New York Jets beat the Baltimore Colts, you know, the old um, American League against the National League in the Super Bowl. Simon Fraser won the first the first Buchanan Cup, which was an odd construct. It was a two game total point. Can you imagine that? Home that and away. Two- no, at, at, at the Coliseum. Just two games. Wow. Two games. I, and, you know, they might have, I didn't play in those. I was on the JV team uh, at that time. They used to have a junior varsity team at, at UBC. Mm-hmm. But um, 
And I don't know whether they were on consecutive nights. That's a really good question. It probably was. They probably were on consecutive nights. And, um, and, and UBC lost. And, and it wasn't close, which was, which was very humbling. But then things turned around. And then fast forward now, it was really cool, uh, you know, November 20th to see the SFU-UBC game back. And, and yes. uh, it was my son's birthday, so obviously couldn't sneak away up the hill for that, but did end up watching the second half on, on YouTube and just sort of, you know, growing up, someone who played in the college league before he moved to university, had lots of friends on both teams and always remember going to those Buchanan Cup games. And it was really cool to see it back and see the support and how people were just sort of starving for that in our province to go back to a game and have a sold out SFU gym. I think it's really, really cool. And that you're talking about that history and here we are still and it's back. And I, and I applaud both Hansons to be willing to take that on because, you know, sometimes, you know, if you, if you put your neck out there and you lose that game, you know, you, you kind of back your mind, is it going to affect us recruiting wise or whatever? But I think just overall for the landscape of basketball, it's a good thing. It's a win-win in general. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yes, it's uh, it's great to see. And, and um, I think both programs are seem to be on very good footing. And uh, I, I hope that we're able. The hard part is finding a, a, a window for it. Yeah, and for it's sure. a little bit disappointing to have to do it in November because it's so early in the year and the teams really aren't sort of fully developed yet. We did finally, in those days when I was playing, um, fit it into the February window somehow. Mm. And we usually ended up playing it on a Monday or a Tuesday. And it did just create that much more interest, right? Because people are paying more attention to basketball in February than they are in November. So. Yeah, for sure. And you've already touched on kind of the magic of high school basketball in our province and and those mentors. And, you know, even though I didn't go to a school that was K to 12, you know, I, I remember being a kid and always going to the Agrodome and looking up to those bigger guys. And, you know, like you say, they seem like they're giants, right? Um, and you had them in your own building every single day. Do you think that you mentioned that SFU was never really an option? Do you think that it was because maybe you did get to experience provincials at war and kind of, it was just like, kind of felt like home or familiar or did that even cross your mind or? Yeah, that, that probably had something to do with it. I was, uh, I, was re- I was really lucky that I was able to get good summer jobs. Mm. And that gave me, I think, some flexibility in terms of, of where I could decide to go to school. And so, and, and you know, we, we lived closer to Vancouver College, which is closer to UBC. So you know, that probably played. And the other part of it was, even though I was probably in those days better at football than I was at basketball, mm. I just didn't, I didn't love football the way I love basketball. And so, mm-hmm. so I think, uh, and I think Simon might have been more interested in me for football than, than, uh, than basketball. Gotcha. So, and what was it like playing there? How, how were the provincials at war? And uh, I'm, I'm assuming great crowds and a good atmosphere. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a great facility with so much history, you know, in itself. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was absolutely packed and that, that particular game, against Sentinel from West Vancouver in the, in the, uh, the quarterfinals, we had upset the number one seed, which was, was, was North Surrey in the first round. And we didn't think it was an upset, but everyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> and then this game against them. And I have been playing, and we've been playing Hector McKay, Dunn, Dennis Kelly, Paul Costello. These are all my teammates since the fourth grade. We've been playing against Mike Clausen from not Sentinel. Like, not like Dennis Kelly, Dennis Kelly. Yeah, yeah, that Dennis Kelly. No yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, Dennis and I were, were classmates. Yeah, That's awesome. And he's still out there coaching. He sure you know, is. Yeah. Yep. Um, at any rate, we've been playing against Mike Clausen at every level. He was at Holy Trinity when he was in elementary school. And then I forget which junior high he went to, but then he ended up at Sentinel. And this game, which is absolutely packed, and half the place is cheering for Vancouver College and half for Sentinel. Everyone else, you know, that wasn't a college fan is obviously cheering for Sentinel because we were the returning champions. And uh, we we led the entire game. We Mm. we never trailed until after the buzzer, actually. You know, he he threw the shot up from about 25 feet out. It was a scramble, picked it up, threw it over his shoulder. And I I actually was under under the hoop, and I said, that's going in. You know, and then you hear the buzzer go and, you know, we made West fan pretty happy that night. So <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> anyway, that was, that was, uh, it, but it was it, interestingly that year, they moved the high school tournament to the Coliseum okay. and, and the semifinals and the final were held at the uh, Coliseum, big crowd. 
but they played on the floor the Harlem Globetrotters used to play on, and it was a horrible floor. It looked like a, a giant table tennis table with painted green plywood. And I mean, it was the next year they got a real floor, you know, but, mm. but, uh, we, I never got to play on it because we didn't qualify for the semis, you know, so mm. we just played the uh, loser games from then on. Right. But, but, anyway, yeah, thanks for circling back for that one, Aaron. No worries. <laughs> yeah. Those are good. Oh, which one, the good one or the bad one? Well, either way, we'll, we'll, well move on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> And then UBC comes around, and you obviously. Yeah, get, and, and yeah. I wasn't recruited. Nobody. They, yeah, yeah. They was, you know, and I didn't even think I'd make the JVs. They used to have these wholesale tryouts with a hundred guys would go out and try out for the for the JVs, and uh, I ended up making it and played. Uh, you know, we had a, a terrific group of guys, and then the next year, Jack Hoy. Rod Matheson, Stan Calgary, and we all moved up, five of uh, John Hawkins, and we, we moved up to the varsity the next year. And it was one of those situations where it was an absolutely crystal clear demarcation be- between starters and, and subs. The, mm-hmm. the starters were, were, you know, Derek Sankey and Ron Thorson, Alec Braden, Bob Malinsky, and Terry McKay, all of whom played for Canada at one time or another. And we were all rookies. And so it, from a coaching perspective for Peter Mullins, I mean, I, I think it was probably the easiest year he ever had. We didn't lose to a Canadian team. We throttled Simon Fraser in the Coliseum and nobody came. We played the championship in Hamilton and nobody came within 20 points of us. So it was, uh, and, and Ron Thorson underappreciated as, you know, one of the great players. Uh, and of course, you know, the great rivalry between UBC and Simon Fraser was partly Ron Thorson and Billy Robinson. Billy was, I listened to Alec Devlin's, uh, podcast which was fantastic and he talked about billy and and uh and they had a they had a very interesting rivalry what do you mean by interesting <laughs> well i mean they both i mean they were they, they had big egos you know and, yeah. and and they were they were both real good ron wasn't as great an outside shooter as billy was but every bit as good a ball handler and probably a better passer mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so and i and, and ron made us all good you know, like we, if we found ourselves open, uh, he found us. We just had to finish it off. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was fun to play with him. I was going to say, did you find yourself at least like, you know, going from not sure if you're going to make it to being JV and then being with those guys, did you find at least you were improving quite a bit? And, and I mean, you, you got to be able to show up against those guys every single day. You must find yourself learning new things, different ways to play the game and getting more of a competitive edge. And even, I mean, you can listen to how you talk, you still have a competitive edge in you, right? So it yeah, must've been yeah. pretty, as hard as some of those scrimmages might've been some days, it must've been a pretty fun experience to be around so many talented basketball players. It was, and they were very generous in, mm-hmm. in, in their mentoring of us. Mm-hmm, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. you'll 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 have a situation where upperclassmen will, will will you know just they'll do their thing and and they won't sort of involve the younger guys and and they were not that way at all mm-hmm. they were very which which made it all the more satisfying when two years later mm-hmm. we won another national championship Ron the you know the other uh, starting um, consistent factor in that of course was Ron Thorson so. So he um, was key to both of those uh, championships. But those of us that have been sitting on the bench two years previous were now starting, and uh, we won again in 1972. So that was that was neat. And I think those guys uh, felt that they had done their job in passing on that that sense of uh, competitiveness. And, and you know, you like if you don't think you're going to win, it's hard to win. <laughs> I mean, you really have to have that self-belief. And in those days, we really believed that we were going to win. And that's a, that's a hard hurdle for lots of teams to, to get over. Were we lucky? Yeah, I think you have to be lucky. You have to avoid injuries and you have to, lots of those factors. Every, every championship team has to have a little bit of luck. And, and we, had, we had, I think, really good quality coaching in, in, in Peter Mullins. Again, completely different personality from John Kutnikoff, who was who's still around, who, who uh, was up at Simon Fraser at that time. So that even even made the the interplay between uh, Simon Fraser and UBC that much more interesting. For sure. John Kutnikoff, he's a, he's a character for sure. Did you find by that 72 year, 
you got that mentorship, did you find yourself being conscious of the role you were in at that point and sort of kind of being generous as well and sort of, you know, working with the younger guys to continue on the legacy of UBC basketball? Yeah, I, I did. I felt I felt really strongly about that. I mean, you still then do, when <laughs> I when I moved on, you know, I was a little uncertain career wise what I was going to do. I, I, yeah. I loved basketball. I I thought I understood the game decently, and so I ended up teaching at Vancouver College, my old alma mater, and was very uh, biased <laughs> in those days towards UBC, and was was uh, hopeful that. Uh, there might be some other kids from Vancouver College that might end up. And, and the one guy that, that played for me, I think it's the only one that played for me, that um, started at UBC was Ian McKinnon. And Ian was a real good point guard in the mid-70s. He's now a retired lawyer, if you can believe that, and one of the first go. guys I coached. You know? so, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, I and I, I was, uh, I think I developed a, a sense of confidence from playing basketball at UBC that that really set me in good stead for just about anything else I I, I took on and and uh, I, I I've often thought back you know if I'd stayed at Vancouver College and become the uh, long tenured much loved crusty old coach you know that uh, <laughs> uh, you were talking about Barry Stewart actually and I yeah. got a Barry Stewart story I'll tell you later but yes. he was like one of those kind of guys I thought that could have been a career option you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but uh, that wasn't wasn't for me. There was a, a, an opportunity came along to actually forget the teaching and get into basketball full time, you know, mm-hmm. working for, for basketball BC. Yeah. And and this is where like your your story is so unique. You're going through your kind of resume. The years are all in order, but I just, you know, love to hear just more and more. What was it about? Obviously, you were drawn to the history of and connection with Vancouver College and the game. But what was it that just made you realize, okay, this wasn't for me. Was there something specific or did it just in your, in the pit of your stomach felt like, I feel like there's something else out there. Well, it was, it was more, I'll tell you what actually happened. A guy named John Olson who had, from Prince Rupert. He's a legend in Prince Rupert. He had had that, the job, this, it was called development coordinator for, for basketball BC. And, and he called me up in April of 1979 and said, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving the job. Uh, I think you'd be really good at it. Mm. And so you should give it some thought. And I thought, oh, that would interest me. I mean, I was I was writing articles and and books and I doing all this. kinds you got of the, stuff. You got the book and uh, the handbook and curriculum guide for the Ministry of Education. Holy smokes, man! Yeah, I, I was I was doing all sorts of other stuff too, and mm-hmm. uh, in addition to coaching. And so that really, I kind of thought, you know, I I think I could I could help that job. I think I could I could really move the, the sport forward. And um, my wife had just had our second child in June of 79. And uh, I went in and uh, told the school in July, I said, you know, I'm really interested in this position with basketball BC. And they said, well, you know, if you're going to leave, we need to know so we can hire a new teacher and a new coach and all that. And I said, well, give me a few weeks. And so I came back and and they still hadn't even posted the position, hadn't even advertised the position. So, So I quit. And, and I went back to working construction for a few months. And finally, they started the process and I put everything into it. I got a call from the guy who was the chairman of the board at that time, a guy named John Gerben, great friend. I'm going to say it's like November 23rd or something like that. And he said, uh, okay, well, you know, we're, we want to offer you the job. And I, and I said, wow, that's, that's great. When can they start? I said, how about Monday? You know, it like, was just a, like a couple of days away, you know, because I, I was uh, anxious to get rid of the construction thing, which was just an interim. And uh, so that started about eight or nine years with Basketball BC, which which was fantastic. And John Gerben wanted to put a policy in place. Bob Wright, Ken Wright's son, was, was also on that board of directors. And I thought it was an interesting take for a provincial body. He said, we're going to be only directly involved in programs when the marketplace isn't looking after those programs. So we're going to fill gaps. We're not going to run programs that compete with other things out there. Mm -hmm. There's no coaching program. The coaching development programs are weak. So we're going to try to do more in that area. We're going to try try to do more in officials development. And then we looked at the best kids. What was happening for the best kids? And all there was in those days were summer camps. Aaron Mitchell would sign up for a summer camp, and you'd go, and maybe you'd go to two or three of them in in a summer 
and some are good, some are bad. You're with the same kids and so on. And maybe you're working on your game and you're hanging around with your buddies and, and playing. But we sort of thought, you know what, if, if, if we could get each kid and, and let's talk about the top 10 or 12 boys, top 10 or 12 girls, get them 10 games and 20 practices in the summertime where they're playing with and against the best. That's got to make a difference for us. That, that's And no one's doing that right now. So we, we ended up getting in touch with a guy, no internet, of course, a guy named Larry Walker, not the baseball player, from Tempe, Arizona. And what was very funny, I listened to Brendan Graves, and he talked about BCI. Yeah. I don't know whether you caught that or not. Yeah. Is, but that was called Basketball Congress International. Oh. And Larry Walker was the president of Basketball Congress International, and he ran a tournament in in Tempe at Arizona State um, University and, and surrounding gyms. Teams from all over the country were there. Hmm. That and, and I said to him, um, you know, could we enter a team? Would, and he said, I'm going to make you my international vice president. Of course you can, you can enter a team. I mean, this was, this was his, his kind of hobby, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to say it was the summer of 1983. Phil Langley was the head yes. coach of, of the boys team. And Barry Stewart was the head coach of the girls team. Cause this guy ran two, two tournaments. Now you got two beauties right off the bat. Let yeah. me tell you, well done. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think Richie Chambers was Phil's assistant. To, mm. And I'm, I, I'm gapping on on who Barry's assistant was, but and so and I went down on the on the on the first uh, trip, and there probably were half a dozen players that went on uh, to uh, uh, have play NBA careers that, that played in that tournament that year. The winner of the slam dunk contest was remember Dennis Johnson who played with the SuperSonics and uh, Celtics and the Celtics. It was his brother won wow. that. Wade Lukes from Victoria finished second. Yes. Shout out Wade Lukes. Yeah. So he was an assistant when I was at Fox. Is that so? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and so on that team were, were like Jeff McKay, who was who was a uh, you know all Canadian at, at UVic, David Lodgins, who who played at Wyoming, and Paul Verrett, who who uh, was at Gonzaga, and uh, there half a dozen of Doug Korea from Vancouver College. And so we started those age class under 17 and under 15 tournaments because nobody else was doing it at that time. And so this was the opportunity. We had, I think we called it a top 40 camp. Top 40 camp. We, we invited the 40 best boys and girls to and then you know pick the pick the teams. So I mean it was it was exciting. Our our belief was that if 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 we kids are kids are kids. Our kids, if they get exposed to this high level of competition at a younger age, they're going to get inspired. They're, they're, they're going to be playing some of these players without having read their press clippings first. So now I think it took four years before we won a game in the winner's bracket. Um, sure. Like there were a lot of, a lot of consolation games, but so many good players went through that. And I just mentioned a few of them. Sometimes you run a team for, for two or three guys. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, my my brief experience on the national team, we went on a tour of China in 1972. That team was basically run. I didn't realize this until, you know, four or five years later for Ken McKenzie, Lars Hansen, and Mike Moser. Mm -hmm. Those were three young guys that had great potential. The rest of us were there because you had to travel with 12 guys and we we're going to try to find, <laughs> you know, 12. They never told us that, but that, you know, that was the... And, and so the same thing with provincial teams, you know, you, you can kind of go back and see, yeah, there's some good, good kids there that, that played on those teams, but they were really there for, to try to provide that, those top few players with, with some challenging uh, opportunities. Would you have ever imagined that it continued and, and took off the way it did? I mean, it's, it's still well, going to this day. I, I have a question, uh, you know, that, that we don't need to answer tonight, but, the thing is that the marketplace has jumped into that, right? Mm. Like you've got all sorts of, of coaches that are running and clubs that, mm -hmm. that are running teams and going to those. So is that the right business for the provincial sport bodies to be in? Mm. Should they be, or should they be setting standards and monitoring and measuring the efforts of clubs and, and other groups and setting standards for them uh, so that, you know, there's a, proper 
practice to game ratio, that there's trained coaches, you know, that there's appropriate supervision, that the costs that are levied onto the kids are are reasonable and affordable. And that's something as opposed to being in competition. I'm you know, trying to run now. Yes, there's going to be a Canada Games every once in a while, and you've got to put a team together for that. But as a matter of course, is it is running provincial teams considering the you know the changes that have happened in, in the marketplace. And when I say the marketplace, we mean you know the the pe- other coaches and clubs and so on that, that absolutely programs. So interesting. I've I, never I've never thought of it that way. I've never really thought of flipping the model like that and and spending time and resources and energy into sort of developing and slash supporting those programs. It's interesting. Yeah. You make a very, uh, well, I mean, if you uh, say, if you say club X, by all mm-hmm. means, you know, go to the AAU tournament, but you know, you don't have our sanction or you don't have our, you know, authorization with it for whatever teeth there might be in that because you don't have a, a, a certified coach, you know, or you're, you're charging the kids too much or, mm-hmm. or you're, or there's any number of other, other sort of things. If you set the standards, because you know what, parents are looking for someone to do that. I think they're looking for someone to say, "Yeah, this is okay," and and uh, we think this is a good a good program because we watch it and we're we're the honest brokers. You know, we're we're the provincial sport body that's uh, that's um, overseeing all of this, and hopefully, it's going to be run the right way. So, yeah, that's interesting. I always laugh that I've brought it up a couple of times in the podcast that summer when I was with Scott Allen, and Rich Goulet, and. Rich spent the whole summer getting his level three because he never had it and he couldn't sit on the bench for the Canada games. Right. And they had to put me yeah. as a manager. Like I was down as a manager because I didn't have it either. And he, he finished it so he could be the assistant coach. It's like, you know, a guy like Rich Goulet still working on that. Ah, it's interesting. Well, and I think that's a credit, a credit to Rich. Of course. To, to, you know, instead of other, there's others that might've set up tech with that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother, but you know, Rich said, okay, that's the rule. I'm going to, I'm going to abide by it. He and I, at, we, you know, we had, we got off to a rocky start with him at, at Thomas Moore and me at Vancouver college. I mean, just, just the nature of the relationship between those schools is, is, uh, <laughs> but, but I think we, we uh, developed great respect for each other. And, and uh, I was very fond of, of Rich and sad that he passed. Yeah. Thanks so much for the sport. think too it's such you got me thinking now and then you know this is your vision right and never really thought of it from this perspective but just the standards and everything and then it's more aligned with what Canada basketball is trying to do with in in essence you know we should be giving kids opportunities to be better to represent Canada is the end goal yeah it'd be great if they go division one or whatever but the more aligned we are across the board and it's it's similar with something like education. I I know that we're all different provincially and we're, you know, we have different things, but sometimes I wonder why some of our standards aren't the same across the board and and kind of what we're covering and things like that, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we've all, we've all seen it. You know, I I think the whole notion of trying to play a game and not keeping score, you know, just doesn't make any sense at all. And you see that it makes less sense in basketball than it does even in in soccer Mm -hmm. um, where they, they actually do that with the, with the little ones. But the you know you do have to kind of say to the coaches uh this is about developing athletes you know mm-hmm. this is not about necessarily having your club be the champion or your um it, it's hard i mean the, the the strength in it all is is that we're all competitive and we want to sort of do our best but you, you've got that i, I remember when, when my daughter was playing eighth grade volleyball she, she didn't play much basketball but she was really not very good. And I was surprised in a way that the coach kept putting her in. And because it didn't look to me like she'd actually earned her spot on it. I'm sure going to hear this someday and she's probably going to be upset with me. But, but he saw the potential. And by the 12th grade, she was, she was as good a player as there was in the city. You know, she was tall and, and could jump and, and he saw that. And, and so sometimes when you've got that under 15 team, you, you, you're going to have to take the six, seven kid over the five eight kid that could run circles around him and is a better player and, and might help you win, but isn't going to play for Canada, you know? And and yep. maybe maybe that six seven kid has a has a chance. So yeah. So there's um, yeah, it's not easy. But I, I think we do need to to review our policies on how we how we operate some of those programs. And and I mean this is the 
this is kind of at the root of what's going on with the schools right now, right? With, with, with the high schools, like what is it that we're trying to accomplish here? I can tell you high school basketball in BC is not going to put players on the national team by itself. It just is not going to happen. There just is not enough, enough there, not enough competition. The bigs don't play enough against other bigs and we need something more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that BC school sports has the answer. They have a different view. And I think, I think their view is to try to focus more on, on the, the student and, you know, help more kids and God bless them. But, you know, I, I have the luxury of caring about how well we do internationally and, and, and developing our, and we'll never be able to keep compete with Ontario numbers wise, but we can do a better job with the talent that we have. So. Boom. I just paused there so that Corbs knows to uh, put some funky music and let everybody soak that in. Cause that's, you're speaking, <laughs> you're speaking the gospel there, sir. Well done. Th- thanks for sharing those thoughts. It's, it's very good stuff. And Lots of, I mean, you got my brain spinning. I'm trying to think about the next question to ask you, but thinking about all the stuff you're telling me too. So it's good. Um, well, we, we've kind of, we, we sort of, our sport in a way has been held hostage by the education system. If we've got a hundred thousand square feet of, or acres or whatever of hardwood in BC, 90% of it is in the control of educational institutions. Do you look at ice for, for hockey? 90% of that is, is managed by the community. So it's, it's different. The access mm. is different. In, in some respects, it's easier for kids to get on the ice than it is to get on hardwood outside of their, their school activity. And yet, we have so much of it locked, locked behind the, 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 you know, the walls of, uh, of schools. I was just but, talking to a coach on the weekend who was saying, He's a, he's a community guy and his school wants to charge him like 200 bucks a day just to get in for practice at Christmas break. And it's like, what are we doing here? Right? Like, what are we doing? This guy's giving up countless hours away. And and I get that there's a cost with janitors and and things like that, but. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think the janitors could look at their contracts too. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they get double time and the senior guys that are making the most money get to bid on those. And so all of a sudden you're talking about $120 an hour just mm-hmm. in, in, in wages. Yeah. It's the smaller communities. And I always think about salmon arm as this example, you can get in that gym in salmon arm because <laughs> there's one taxpayer, right there. And they all know each other. And are they, the taxpayers all know each other and they're saying, hey, we, we put our money in to build that gym and our kids can't use it. So you, you find in the smaller communities, they're much better at using their tax dollars. Big cities, you know, you, you have a bureaucracy, you have the city bureaucracy and the school bureaucracy. And, and you know, there's, there's all kinds of reasons why they can't work together, or at least why they say they can't work together. But I don't think they've made it a priority to get kids into the gyms outside of school, school time. Yeah. There's lots of work to do. <laughs> yeah. That's why we need you to keep volunteering. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely yeah. correct. This is uh, we're going to have to go for a coffee or a beer sometime to just chat more about this is good stuff. And um, really enjoying how just authentic you are and just sort of the thoughts and you could just hear the experience you have. Tell us about the Canada basketball experience and why you wanted to continue just sort of being involved with that. Okay. You seem like someone who's really involved in not only, I mean, obviously we all have to earn an income and support our families, but just sort of, you know, we like to use the term sort of passion projects, right? So things that are near and dear to your heart and you look at your resume and it seems like a lot of the stuff you've done is also has been drawn to you for other reasons as well. And I'm assuming that's why the Canada basketball stuff and talk about those experiences and, and just sort of your hopes and goals for the program. I, I love the direction we're going in. I, I just can't wait for, can't wait for the women to crack and get to that gold medal game one year. And I can't wait for our guys to qualify and then go on a run again, but you've had some cool experiences there as well. And, and talk about those things. Well, uh, you know, it started um, really with with um, when Jack Donahue was hired. He took one team the summer of 1972 to go and went off to Europe to try to qualify for the Munich Olympics, which they, they were not able to do. Mm-hmm. And the other younger group I mentioned earlier, Mike Moser, Lars Hansen, Ken McKenzie, Mike Frisbee, sent us to China 
because China wasn't in the, in the Olympics in 1972. Mm. And, and so we, we went on a three-week tour and, and played over there. And Jack, and I, you know, we became pretty close over, over the next probably 10 or 12, 15 years. He cut me several times. But I'll tell you, every time he, every time he cut a player, he sat down with him and talked to him. There was no posting lists on the bulletin board. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was because he, he did say to me the first time he cut me, he said, John, he said, I, I think you're probably, you're, you're going to be important to be a fan of this program. I, I, I want you to be supportive of this program because you may be in a position someday where you can have some influence. Wow! You know, sort of help this help this program. So I want you to be to feel. No, I don't think I'm the only guy who said that too. I think mm-hmm. he probably said something like that to lots of people, but it did kind of resonate with me. And, I mean, uh, and a bit of a risk on his behalf. He could just have sort of a conversation, talk about your skill level, but to just sort of as hard as it is to hear in that moment, like I didn't make it, but, and then you give yourself some reflection and take that feedback and go, you know what? He's actually got a good point. I think, I think I can provide something, you know, and I don't know, he just seems like a really special man and everybody that's been on the show and the stories they've shared. And, you know, he just seems like a super, super unique sort of, sort of guy that everyone would love to have played for, I think. And and a lot of his best qualities are manifested in a lot of his former players, you know, like, like, like Alec Devlin, like like uh, Jay Triano, you know Jay's probably the closest I think mm-hmm. in, in in terms of having so many of Jack's uh, great qualities. So he, he he did make a a real contribution to to Canadian basketball, Canadian sport in general. And he, he also wasn't afraid to break the mold. He wasn't afraid to take a big swing. He wasn't mm-hmm. afraid to um, take a risk. So I had like a lot of players when you're actually playing. And you're seeing the guys in the Blazers, you know, you're seeing the the board of directors or the, you know, the, the volunteers and, and you sort of dismiss them, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you sort of minimize their, their sort of importance. And, and uh, I, I always made a point later as, as these, as I got wiser going to those guys like Bill Norton and Norm Globe and, and Ted Milton and thanking them for what they did because they actually kept programs together with spit and bailing wire. You know, they just, they weren't able to raise the money they needed, but they, they kept programs alive and, and um, you know, they, they just, uh, and, and so I appreciate those people that, that are sort of behind the scenes and, and uh, trying to, trying to get something done. Um, and I thought with my time at basketball, BC, putting some of these programs in place, I thought, well, you know what? I, I think I maybe there's something I can do. You know, I I can uh, I can paint on a bigger canvas. Maybe I can. And my career kind of took me into sport BC and you know more multi-sport stuff. But and it wasn't until I actually left the provincial government in 2008 that an old friend Wayne Parrish reached out to me and said, "Look, I'm I'm." Uh, he said, "He said, who's what's the greatest asset that that Canada has in basketball?" And this is 2008, and I said. Well, I think it's Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve, Steve had two years previous, you know, won his second MVP and and uh, hadn't played for Canada since 2004, mm-hmm. where there was. And he said, and Wayne said, I'm going to be the the CEO of Canada Basketball, and we need to get our strongest asset back, leading Canada Basketball. Yeah. And do, do you want to join in? And he had asked me a year or two previous, and I, I said, I, a year, year before, I guess. And I, I said, I couldn't because I was, it was a conflict of interest for me to be on a national sport body and working for the provincial government at that time. So, so when I left the, the government, went to the, to the Oval in Richmond, I talked to my boss there and I said, what do you think? He said, that's no problem. That would be great if you're, if you're on the board of Canada basketball. So I, I joined in 2008. We, we did a whole strategic shift. There's a hundred things that Canada basketball could do each of which would make basketball better in this country. But there's only one organization that has the responsibility for Canada's international basketball performance, and that's Canada Basketball. That's the one job they have that nobody else has. So that has to be our overarching goal, is to improve our national team's performance. Let's work with the provincial bodies. Let's work with recreation. Let's 
let's find others that can help us look after coaching development and officials development and so on. But but we've we've let the country down if we haven't done something to to help our national teams. And so, and I give Wayne tremendous credit for this for bringing Steve back into the fold in, in 2012. That announcement was made, and Jay was going to coach and Rowan Barrett. You know, three of the veterans of the 2000 Sydney Olympic uh, uh, team uh, were going to leave the men's program. The women's program was starting, you know, Alison McNeil was uh, taking the team to the London Olympics. They qualified. The women's team was in, in very good shape. Just had done a deal, I think, or maybe the deal was right around then or the, the year after with Edmonton to, to uh, put them there. As their, that was their, their training home, their training camp home. So I, I think it was a, a sharpening of focus that, that um, unfortunately still hasn't, you know, still hasn't paid off. I mean, I, I guess there, yes, there are, there, there are achievements and there's, there's obviously a lot of great players, but, you know, we still haven't done what, you know, what we set out to do. And, uh, but I'm very confident. I mean, the last thing I did before I left the board was participate in hiring Glenn Grunwald as as uh, the CEO, and Glenn did a, did a great job. Michael Bartlett is now taking that over after a year as chief operating officer. He he is uh, going to be just great. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment have taken a much a much um, uh, much more leadership, you know, in in the uh, in the national team. I, I know one of your one of your standard questions is is hmm. I think is is there something you a game that you'd want to turn around or something that you want to we already talked about the Centennial Vancouver College game but that pales in comparison to to Canada versus Venezuela September oh, 11, 2015 don't, don't do it 79 78 when, whenever I feel I've Let's do it you know, misbehaved and, 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 you know, you teach at a Catholic school, so you under, understand penance. Uh, you know, I, I go and watch the last four minutes of that game. And, and I mean, it, it just is, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And, and I, I think about how things would be different if we mm. won that game, you know, I mean, it just is uh, now I, I guess when we do qualify for, for Paris, it will be sweeter because there have been such bitterness, mm-hmm. you know, for the last uh, number of years. But boy, I would trade in the Thunderbirds and the Fighting Irish, and you know, for for turning that game around, you know, and 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 winning that game. As I'm sure, I mean, I'm just a fan, right? And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, Kelly Olenek and and Corey Joseph and Corey Joseph should be the Order of Canada, I think. You know, when he retires, uh, I mean, he he has been such such a soldier for Canada. You know, um, I agree. Yeah, no, we've got a WhatsApp group chat. Well, I've got a few, but there's one where we every now and then we just someone will say Venezuela, and we'll just all go, "No, please don't! Like, please don't!" Yeah, that was that was yeah, that was yeah. a tough no, one to watch. No, but I was, think yeah. you know, and I think having Nick Nurse on board now too, and you know, yeah, I, I just yeah. think that it's just all yeah, it's going in the right direction. So kudos to you for for all that work and stuff. It's amazing. You, I mean, you know this as a coach, mm-hmm. winning's hard. Oh, it doesn't matter what level you are at, winning is hard. And there's only twelve spots. You know, there's going to be a world championship, I guess, or world cup, or whatever, world cup, I guess they're calling it now. I think next year, right? And and uh, there'll be 36 teams. Like it's going to be hard not to qualify for that. Yeah, 12 yeah. teams. Any team that qualifies for the Olympics has a shot at a medal. You mm-hmm. know, you just that's how good you are. You know, yeah. to, to qualify, you're, you're. But it's worth it. You know, I it, it, it is worth it. I think it is a. It will be a great thing for Canada when it happens. It is, there is all of this kind of pent up, well, uh, love for the game. We saw that when the Raptors had their run a couple of years ago. That And, and um, I just, uh, I hope to be in Paris in 2024 and, and uh, be able to, to see that firsthand. There you go. I love it. Do you like music? Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I do. I'm, I'm kind of a, a rock and roll and blues guy. It was more okay. of a Rolling Stones fan than a Beatles fan. Okay, you know? uh, sure. Hey, 
Um, you don't have to say it like that. We're not here to yeah. judge. This is your this is your episode, sir. You know, you you say what you, what your heart feels. So you get one concert, best seat in the house. Take whoever you want. Is it the Rolling Stones or is it someone else? No, you know who it would be. Mm-hmm. It, it would, would be? be George Thorogood and the Destroyers. The nurses all gather round and they gazed in wide wonder. Wow, I was such a big fan of him that I actually changed our message on our phone at home. Yes. I, I'm not going to sing it for you, but but it, it, it went on. something. It went something like this. Um, if you called and you heard this, there's nobody home, so leave a polite message. Don't be bad to the phone. Oh, wow! Don't be bad to the phone. Oh, I'm sure the lovely, I'm sure the family just love that. Hey, <laughs> well, <I can't. laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was, uh, no, that's, that's, uh, I'm a big, big fan of George. Awesome. Now with all the different facets, different things you've done, you, you, there must be some powerful books out there that you've read, or is there something you're currently reading right now? Or is there an all time book for you? that you would recommend to a reader? I just made I an assumption there. If you're not much of a reader, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I read a lot. I, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm actually reading. It's not, not relevant to our, our talk right now, but it's, okay. but it's, uh, it, I, I trying to understand, you know, what's going on in, in between Israel and the, and the Palestinians. And, and uh, so I'm reading a couple of books on that. Cause I just don't feel like really, I'm not as informed on mm-hmm. that. This, this, this last, uh, summer, I, I reread some old books. I, I read reread To Kill a Mockingbird, nice. which really holds up in, in 2021, just yeah. as it did in 1959. Wow. You know? So it's, yeah, interesting read. Yeah, there um, you go. The one, the book that I think, I'll pick, give you a basketball book that I think everyone would enjoy. It's called, it's hard to find. It's called Second Wind by Bill Russell. It was his first autobiography. And that's where he talked about as a high schooler making this post. Well, Howard wrote about it. I think Howard Samora wrote about it uh, maybe a couple of years ago where he came up through BC and played a game at War Memorial Gym. Producer Corp's here. Link for that is in the description. Right. Uh, With the high school all-stars from Northern California. But in it, he talks about the process that he went through as the only guy in the team without a scholarship and you know all of this this length and athletic ability and so on and and how he worked on his game he reminded me of alec devlin like mm-hmm. alec devlin is a guy that invented himself i i don't think cootie was a was a a skill teaching coach and alec mm-hmm. alec taught himself phil russell sort of taught himself so mm-hmm. i think that that would be an interesting read cool right on second wind thank you for that now you're a you're a different vintage than me, but uh, maybe back in the day, how? What were your thoughts about ketchup on macaroni? Well, I, I knew this was coming, and, and uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> the uh, are they putting ketchup in in the box of craft dinner? No, absolutely not. No, no, no. So, you know, you, you've got to eat it the way Mr. Craft planned it. You know, like that's just the cheese and the noodles, and uh, that's not you know, other pasta. But a craft dinner is one you've discussed at some length, I think, on this. In the past. I like, I like yeah. where you're going with that. Did they put yeah. it in the box? No one's come yeah. up with that yet. No. Well done, no. well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now if you could go back to one game, would it be the Venezuela game? That, oh, that yeah, without quest, without question. I know, I know. My old lifelong friend Hector Mackay Dunn probably would wish that it was the Sentinel game that I could mm-hmm. reverse, but but no, mm-hmm. no, it would be the it would be the Venezuela game. That's uh, did you just sure. did you just take a poke at Hector? Did you just take a drive? No, no, Hector was no no Hector is my lifelong friend, and we were teammates, and I know that loss that that loss uh, hurt him as much as it did me. But I just thought we're talking about all of Canada here, you there know, you not, go. not just. In one little Catholic boys' school in Vancouver. Fair enough. <laughs> Who have been some of the most important people in your life? Well, you know, I'll, I'll obviously my parents. They, they you know, they're uh, they're both gone now, but they were they were uh, fantastic. I just I'm the eldest of six kids, and we had a lovely home life. Um, Good and, old uh, Catholic family, hey? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> um, Peter Mullins at UBC. 
was, you know, he had I, he had lots to say, and I was ready to hear it. You know, at, at that that time, uh, a guy who I don't know whether you've had on or not, but but uh, I mean, he's even older than me. Um, Ken Winslade, Jason's dad, very cool guy. I can still remember his phone number. I used to five two six four eight one one. I used to call him uh, and and ask his advice on everything from coaching to to you know with basketball BC and and, uh, and I've had you know great friendships with with Ken Shields and, and Jack Donahue and Phil Langley is a good friend. Uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be leaving uh, some people out, but but. Uh, you know, Ken, Ken, I wouldn't call Ken a mentor, um, but uh, he'd always give you his point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and uh, you didn't always agree, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't always agree on stuff. But but um, he, he's a uh, he, he's a wise, smart, accomplished guy. Mm hmm. I love how you framed it about uh, Coach Mull- or Coach Mullins there. Like he had lots to say, and I was ready to hear it. That's cool. I like that that framing of it. It's well said. Well, you know that as a coach, you know. I mean, you're you're saying things, and and, and you know they're just it's not being absorbed. Mm-hmm. But some sometimes something happens. Yeah. Whether it's the, the the child changes, or you develop a new way of delivering the message, or whatever. But it but it uh, you know finally gets through. Just so you know. I have texted Jeff Winslade many times, requested his father, his father has, but maybe this will be the one that turn him over the edge. Maybe this one will get him on. That man has got many stories. I mean, he's got the freaking court named after him. How can we not have him on a hoops journey? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I would say that, that your, your collection is not complete until you get Ken. And I think that's the message that like, we've done all this stuff. We've had everybody, you know, all these great players and, builders of the sport and and uh, you know we have a missing piece look at all these nuggets your collection's not complete who is this man he's just you're amazing you gotta get all these written down what's the greatest bag of chips now look at yourself uh i would say that uh you're aging better than i am for god's sakes but uh if you were to kind of break you know you're having maybe great cup sunday or whatever what bag of chips are you going for well again you know being being an avid fan of the podcast i'm not unfamiliar with the question but what i what i am uncertain of oh is whether hawkins cheesies qualify as a chip and if they if they are if they do if if your arms are wide enough aaron to include hawkins cheesies in in the family of chips then i i I think everything else is you know a close second but it's hawkins cheesies or the, the super bowl of snacks you know who you need to have a conversation with at the next UBC Thunderbirds game? Mm. Mr. Sean Shook. Oh, is That's, he a, is he a Hawkins? Uh, that was his selection on this uh, show himself as well. I went out a couple weekends ago to go watch a high school game, and Kev and Shook were there. I brought Kev a Diet Pepsi, and I bought Shooky a bag of Hawkins cheesies, and his face lit up. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That, that uh, qualifies. 100% yeah. it qualifies. Okay. okay. Well yeah. done. And you're also... Uh, like your uh, old school, yeah, you stick to it. I like it. You didn't bend for anything in this new ketchup or whatever. He's staying true to the Hawkins. I love it. Very, yeah. very impressive. No che- not Cheetos, by the way. No, don't, no, don't try nope. to pass off nope. Cheetos or one of those kind of fake, uh, you know, old Dutch does some kind of crinkly cheese thing. That's just, I would never, no, I would never no, do that to you. No. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned many players that you've had the fortune of seeing playing against who are a few that you think stand out to you just for whatever um, reason? Yeah. Overall? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, if you want to do the, you know, the MJ LeBron thing, I mean, I, I you know, I, I come down on MJ's side on that one. Um, I like LeBron a lot, but I'm going to, I'm going to come off, off the, the, uh, go off the grid here. Not the best basketball player um, I ever played with. But inch for inch, pound for pound, best athlete I ever saw was um, John. Interesting. His last name is the same as the Cheesies. John Hawkins, who was my teammate at UBC, okay. still a, a very good friend. Canada's first seven-foot high jumper. Finished fifth, I think, in the high jump in, in Munich in 72. Seven feet, did you say? He, his, his best was, he, he was, he's only five of 11 and a half. Yeah. But he, wow. he was Canada's first seven-foot high jumper. 
and and I think he topped out at seven five or seven six. Ooh. I think was his, was his best uh, ever. Uh, but he was still dunking in his fifties. And, wow. and um and he and I, we you know, we played masters basketball and and uh, so on forever. But uh, he's uh, he's quite a quite an athlete. Became a much better basketball player, but but uh, as far as athletes go, he he was uh, really something. The other guy I'm going to name is the the all-time leading scorer in the Olympics. And you think, oh, that must be Kevin Durant. Oh, I know who it is. Yeah, is it Oscar? It is. It is. It is Oscar Schmidt, the great star of the Brazilian team that was had a guaranteed contract with the New York Nets, but he wanted a guarantee of playing time. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't. They wouldn't give him that. And and it also he he couldn't play for Brazil because they weren't letting pros play mm. um, when he was playing. Not he didn't play after '92. I think he was done by then. But he had the all-time greatest quote of a of a of a basketball scorer. There's a, a media guy asked him, Oscar, you're such a great scorer. You've had so many games over 50 points. He actually, Doncic doesn't have the record for most points in a game. It's actually Oscar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over 50 for one game. But you don't really play a whole lot of defense, Oscar. Oscar takes a big breath and he says, when you go to a concert, there are four men who carry the piano and one who plays. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I love it. I think yeah. it was I, th- I think it was Mike Meeks. I think it was Mike Meeks who mentioned Oscar as well and just was like cuz I mean I mean how many olympics did he go to, right? 5 yeah. 6 like it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, he was he was he, he was uh, That's great. He, he was really something. And a character kind of too. I saw him actually at the uh, at the Olympics in uh, London in, and he, uh, in he could play the piano, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, two questions now. One's a bit of a pressure filled, but you, you know, okay. if there's someone you'd like to see get onto a hoops journey, but you have to help us get them on the show. So, who's someone you would like to see? Is it Ken? Now, I don't want you. No. To pre- I don't want you to pressure your friend. Is there someone else that you think would be willing to do it and would be a good guest for us? Well, uh, Ken would Ken would be a great guest. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, I, and I'd be I'd be happy to. Uh, to intercede if that helped the other one i i is uh, phil langley i i think i think phil would be fun i i'm kind of uh Do you know, you know I played I, for i'm him? going old school here i mean there's there's lots of younger people um out there too that would be great but but phil phil's got lots of stories he just just his his brief one season with the vancouver nighthawks oh Holy. right did you know did you i played for him what's that i played my first year out of high school at cap did you? Me, Dom Zimmerman, yeah, Jamie Wee. Oh yeah, Brent, yeah. Bob Malinsky's son Brent was on the team, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Reimer, yeah, he was my coach. Yeah, yeah. Right out of, right out of high school. Yeah. No, I think Phil would be good. He's, good. He's, uh, uh, I, I mean, he, he assisted uh, Ken yeah. Shields on the national team, as you. Yeah, yeah you would know his whole, uh, all of his background. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave that one with you. You get us connected and let's get him on there. Love it. That'd be a great oh, one. Yeah. Last question before we let you go. If you could do it all again, you would what? You know, I listened to your um, the podcast with Brendan Graves and you asked him that question. And uh, he said he would have worked harder on his weaknesses. I think that was... And, mm-hmm. and I think that's... If I'm looking at it purely as a player, if I had a duo, I think I would, I, I would have worked harder on my own, and I would have worked worked on my weaknesses, and and instead of accepting my limitations, mm. you know, and I, I would have tried to to defeat them, you know, and make them strengths. So um, that's uh, I think kids today now probably work a lot harder than we did. They they spend more time, I think, playing. I'm not sure they spend more time on their on their weaknesses. I think they, they're in the gym by themselves doing the stuff they're good at. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and that was the point Brendan made. And he made it very eloquently. And uh, I, I, I'd sort of support that one. Yeah. Even just overall, like I think the times that you weren't maybe working on your individual skills, you're spending two hours at war scrimmaging and competing your butt off, right? In really high level yeah. comp- competitive games. So 
you're developing some skill, but it's just in a different way. And I think that high level competition is something that we need to push our, our young people to set, step out of that comfort zone, be a little more vulnerable. Don't always play against the guys or girls that are the same level as you play against yeah. bigger, faster, stronger, and, and throw yourself out there. So that's, that's a good reflection. Any other last reflections? We appreciate your time. And this was great. So many awesome nuggets and an amazing resume. And thank you for all that you've done for the game of basketball, um, for sport in British Columbia and Canada in general, and, and continue to do. And I think it's inspiring for, you know, and I not to say, but just older people in general, that there's always an opportunity to learn and grow and to continue to keep your mind fresh and keep working. And, you know, you're going to continue to impact. And, and it's very, uh, it's very awesome to hear the stories and know that you're going to, uh, have the backs of many athletes going forward from here. So I'll leave it with you for any last reflections before uh, we finish off this episode, which is great. I'll just, I'll just finish by, by saying, uh, Aaron, thanks for the opportunity. It's, it's nice to be able to reflect on uh, uh, the last, uh, you know, 50 or 60 years of, of basketball. Um, the game is strong and, and uh, hopefully you and I can get together and have that beer and talk about, uh, you know, how it can get better. I would love that. Thank- Thanks again, Eric. You are welcome. Thanks for being with us. Great episode. We're so happy to be back spinning the wheels of a hoops journey. And thanks for sticking with us. Thanks to Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. And we'll see you on the next episode.